Hey there neighbors, I just wanted to pop in and let you know that we had some technical difficulties this week and had a lot of trouble getting the audio to come through in a way that's actually listenable. So if it sounds a little bit off, um, that's why, and we apologize, and we've figured out the problems, and we'll have you back on track with the same quality next week. We'll see you soon. We started a new series called How to Grow, and we talked about um, how things happen, and we don't necessarily go back and ask the question how things happen. So we started with a story out of Mark chapter 4 in which Jesus says um, that a guy goes out and he plants seed, and he waters it, and he goes to sleep, and he wakes up, and he goes to sleep, and he wakes up, and it grows, but he doesn't necessarily know how it is that he grows, or how it is that seeds grow. Um, and so we're trying to um, take some time and walk through how is it that people actually grow? How is it that things actually grow? Um, and what does, uh, what does Jesus have to, to share with us about that? Um, if this is your, your first uh, step in this journey together with us, I'm actually going to go back to where we started last week. And we're going to read the same passage. I'm going to try and get a running start. Um, so you can go back and watch the live stream from last week uh, to get the full, the full picture. But we're going to get a running start. We're going to go back to John chapter, uh, John chapter 15. We'll read the verses that we covered last week, and then we'll take the next, uh, the next couple of steps. So if you want to go ahead and turn to John chapter 15, uh, in these blue Bibles that are in the chairs in front of you, um, the devil wave. Technical difficulties. Uh, John chapter 15 is on page 1126 in the blue Bibles. They're in the chairs uh, in front of you or tucked uh, underneath your chair, maybe. They could be anywhere. I don't know about you, um, but I'm going to need the Lord to be with me this morning. So let's pause together and let's pray as we begin. Um, this is the uh, disciples' prayer. It's the model of prayer that Jesus left for us not a magic spell or anything like that, but it's helpful for us to pray the way that Jesus instructed us to pray. So um, would you bow uh, your hearts with me um, and you can pray with your mouth as well if you'd like to. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. John chapter 15, and I'll begin in verse 1. And we'll read through uh, verse 1 down to verse 11. We'll pause and then we'll continue reading. John 15, I am the true vine, Jesus is speaking, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandment, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my, or that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So I'll pause there and we'll just recap a little bit of what we talked about last week. The big point, the big idea, if we're asking how we grow, the first step is we are designed to need Jesus in order to grow. So growth kind of happens. It's part of God's world. Um, kids don't try to figure out how to grow stronger until they get to like maybe middle school. And then they're in the locker room trying to figure out how to get bigger muscles or grow taller or whatever it is that we um, compare one another with in middle school. But most of the time, kids don't ask how to grow. Um, they just do. And you can't stop them. You can put a brick on their head, but it doesn't actually work. Um, but we are designed to need Jesus in order to grow. And so if Jesus is the foundation, or if we don't have Jesus as the foundation, whatever we build, Jesus will say in another place, whatever we build will collapse if we don't start with him. We're designed to need Jesus in order to grow. And in this, uh, in this passage, he says over and over again, apart from me, you can do nothing. And he says, disciples are known by the fruit of their lives in verse 8. And the fruit of their lives he describes as love in verse 9, love for the Father, and obedience to the Father in verse 10, and ultimately joy. Love, obedience, and joy are the fruit of discipleship and following Jesus, being an apprentice of Jesus. These are what grows out of your life. And there are days where I look at my life and go, um, I don't have a ton of love. Maybe I did obedience kind of okay and certainly don't have that joy thing flowing out of me. Like the things that are coming out of me are not really uh, what we describe as joyful. Um, and that just leads me to ask the question at the beginning, and we talked about this last week, are we connected to Jesus? It's one thing to go and hang out around Jesus' people, to be among the vine, to be a branch, a stick around the other sticks and be like, yeah, I kind of blend in. Like I'll put some leaves on. I cut some of my own leaves and stick them up here and I can look like I'm alive. But if you're not connected to Jesus, then none of that really matters. It doesn't matter how you gussy yourself up without a connection to the life-giving um, source of life, which is... Uh, um, from the redundancy department of redundancy, it means nothing. Are we connected to Jesus? That's the first question I have to ask. So if, if that's the big point about growth, if I wanna grow and, and the first question is, am I connected to Jesus? Does that mean then that I need to go and find a monastery somewhere where I can get alone with God and we can sit on a mountain and I can spend all my time devoted to prayer and silence? And there are some mothers in the room going, oh yes, please give me that application. Like that is what I need in my life. But I'm not sure that that's exactly what Jesus had in mind. 
There's a place for that. There's a place for silence and reflection. There's, there's our people that are called to that kind of a life. But is that, is that what was normative for people who are going to follow Jesus? I want to read the next verses and see if we might understand some more about the picture that Jesus has of what this love, obedience, and joy looks like. Read with me in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So as we ask the question, how do we grow? And we look at the fruit of discipleship as being love and obedience and joy, we can kind of get a picture of uh, kind of a, a religious like stick in the mud, like I just am holier than thou and I don't necessarily need anybody else in my life. But Jesus says the first commandment I'm giving you is that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus gives us life in order for us to live it in love for him and love for one another. It took me a really long time to wrap my head around this. It is taking me even longer to wrap my heart and my life around it. And this is our big idea for the morning. We are designed to grow together with others. We're not meant to be a solitary plant planted alone on a hillside, drawing life from a vine, but we are designed to grow together with others. John 15, I, I, I mentioned last week, John 15 is, is Jesus' last conversation with his disciples before he's crucified. He's, he knows he's got just a few more hours left with them, and so he spends all night up with them, teaching them and praying with them and singing together with them. Isn't it interesting to consider the songs that Jesus might have sang? He spends his last night together with his disciples, and this is part of what he's telling them. I am the vine, and the first commandment I give to you is to love one another. And if you're like me, you kind of look at that picture and go, well, they've got a little bit of a leg up over me. Like, they got to follow Jesus in the flesh. Like, when they said they were following Jesus, Jesus would get up and walk out the door, and they'd be like, well, I guess I got to walk out the door and go down the street wherever he's going. I'm going to follow him. And... Jesus doesn't look like that in my life. They've got a little bit of an advantage. They get to follow the embodied presence of Jesus. They followed him in the flesh. But what does it look like when Jesus' embodied presence isn't with us? What does it look like when we have to follow Jesus while he is at heaven and he's left with us a helper that we can't see, that we can't touch? What does that look like? The experience of these men was that they got to follow Jesus for a time, but he was not with them for the rest of their lives. And so I'd like to turn a couple of pages to Acts chapter 2, and I'd like to take a look at what it is that they did when Jesus was no longer with them. Acts chapter 2, 
And uh, we're actually going to begin reading at the end of, of, of this chapter in verse 42. But I just want to give you a, a little bit of background. <clears throat> the book of Acts is, uh, is a biography. It's actually volume two in a two-set biography. Volume one was written about the life of Jesus, and volume two is written about what the disciples did after Jesus was resurrected uh, and came back to life. And so in, in chapter one, Jesus meets them on a hill and he says, hey, you guys are going to go do the thing that I trained you to do. I'm out of here. And he ascends into heaven. He takes his physical presence away from them, says, I will send a spirit. You will receive power and you're going to be witnesses for all that I did in your life. There's 120 disciples at this time, 120 people that having seen Jesus crucified still say, I'm going to follow him as my Messiah. And these 120 people devote themselves to prayer. They go back to the upper room where uh, Jesus had taught and what, we was, what was recorded in Acts 15. And they pray. And the Holy Spirit shows up. And he looks like fire. And he comes on them. And, and Peter, the one who had denied Jesus in a similar manner to Judas, who had betrayed him, he stands up redeemed and restored and preaches about the good news that Jesus is the Savior we've been waiting for. And 120 become 420. 300 people trust Jesus there. And now these new baby believers have to learn how to follow somebody who's not on the earth with them anymore. What did their faith look like? Let's read together Acts chapter 2 on page 1136 in the Blue Bibles. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What did their faith look like? Um, this will look sim uh, somewhat familiar to you if you're with us at the beginning of the year. I gave you a similar graphic to this. And this is our model. This is what we're going to begin or we're going to be taking apart in this series. It, it kind of got under my skin that this doesn't look like the rest of the slides, so I, I, sh I made it look like the other slides. So we're going to use this one. I wanted to show you the old one to show you that you've seen this before, um, but I'm, I'm going to use the new one from here. Um, the, if we're going to build a house, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we have to have that foundation of Jesus first. If we build the house on anything else, it's not going to stand. You can hit all of these other four categories of faith. You can look like everybody else, but if you don't have that foundation, the whole thing will fall apart. So if we, we must be attached to the vine to begin with, we have to lay the foundation of Jesus first. 
And then these other four things we see in these chapters, we're going to look in these chapters and then we're going to jump to other parts in the Christian scriptures in the New Testament to see kind of how these things lay out. And we're going to focus in first on this gathering component because I think it's the thing that maybe um, we struggle with the most. They gathered together. They had fellowship together. They were breaking bread and they were devoting themselves to prayer. One of our values is we journey together and we hold God's gifts with open hands. This, this is a, a community of people who love one another, who, who like spending time together, who want to do that and who want to share their struggles as they go through them. They devoted themselves to learning. The apostles' teaching, as they gathered, they didn't just make up whatever seemed good. They went back to what had been written. They went back to the people who had received this instruction from Jesus, and they, they studied and fed on the words of Jesus, and they applied the scriptures. We, together, as, as neighborhood church, we trust the Bible, and we hold fast to the mission that Jesus has left to us, even, even when we have to adapt the methods that we do those things. They gathered together and they celebrated the work that Jesus was doing. Um, as, they, they develop, or as they gathered together and devoted themselves to the teaching, they also, um, there were many signs and wonders that were being done and they, were, they had glad and generous hearts. They were praising God. And they had favor with all. They celebrated the work that Jesus had been doing and they were serving. They took everything that they had and they distributed among one another. They, they saw needs in the community and they said I have something that can meet that need I will hold God's gifts with open hands I'm going to collaborate with my neighbors and those who are seeking Jesus kingdom first rather than competing together and trying to one up one another but that first component they were gathering together they spent time together they they crossed paths and they made a point to be in one another's lives to share bread and to share prayers. We were designed to grow together with others. My thing is all out of order, I'm sorry. We were designed to grow together with others. Um, this is actually true for plants as well. So if you'll allow me a horticultural uh, excursus. With plants, if you plant a plant out in the middle of a field by itself, um, it can grow. It does better if you run water out to it because plants need water to grow, particularly in Florida. Um, it's, a, it's a thing. Um, but if you leave it out there by itself, it, it's going to grow, um, but it's probably going to struggle. In fact, if you want it to do better, you can plant three plants of the same kind together in a group where they can share resources. Believe it or not, um, science has discovered that trees can share resources, and this is way outside of the, uh, the scope of what I can actually explain to you, but they've discovered that if a forest, in a forest, a forest that's been established for a long time, the trees make a network of fungus through their root systems, so that if there's a fire on one side of the forest, nutrients from, that, from this side can actually be moved away from the things that are burning in order to strengthen the things that are not threatened yet, so that when the threat comes to them, they're stronger. Uh, I can give you a podcast if you want to hear more about it. That's all I got. <clears throat> 
But this is true of plants. And it's not just like the same things planted together. Like if you plant three things of the same variety together, they'll do better than if it's just one. But if you plant a diverse community around it, you plant a tall tree with some things that are a little bit shorter that have different, slightly different needs, but they kind of go together, then they do better together. Everybody does better when they're all planted together. They can share resources. Um, they actually fertilize one another by their droppings. They mulch one another. Like it's better. Better, uh, they call this in, in, in horticulture a mixed or a diverse, diverse group planting. We also were designed to grow together with others. It is, there is a kind of growth that can come from solitude and prayer. And there's another, another uh, kind of growth that comes through loving one another, through sharing meals together and devoting yourselves to prayer together, to sharing your life with those who are around you. There was a time where I felt like I had a really good understanding of Christianity. There was a time where I felt like I had a, a really gr good grasp of, of the doctrines of the faith. That if you'd asked me, I'd say absolutely, like, I, I trust the Bible and I put, and, and Jesus is, is, is the main thing of the Bible. I trust Jesus for my salvation. And I felt like I could probably get every answer right on like a doctrinal exam. But my heart towards the church and towards the people in my church was really hard. I felt like I had it together and everybody else was screwed up. And if I spent any time with them, they would corrupt me. And I would say, I love Jesus. I just can't get along with the church. And it took me some time and it took some people that were kind enough to point out to me that if I'm reading and taking seriously the words of Jesus, I can't actually say that. If Jesus says the fruit of discipleship is gonna be love and obedience and joy, and the fruit of that love is love for one another, then if I'm following Jesus and neglecting connecting with the church, with other believers, then I'm missing a component of following Jesus well. We were designed to grow together with others. My faith shaped my life, I felt like, but it didn't shape my relationships yet. Does our faith reshape our relationships? Do we say, I'm following Jesus, and so when he says to love one another, I gotta look around to see who's the others that are around me. I gotta, I gotta love those people. In fact, if you're gonna read the Christian scriptures, if you're gonna read the New Testament, um, you're gonna find one another shows up a lot. It shows up a hundred times in, in the New Testament. And uh, I, I'm not gonna go through every single instance where it shows up, um, but if you collect all of the sayings of, of, of the teachings, the imperatives, the instructions that Christians are to X one another, to do something towards one another, the three first groups that come together are have unity together, to love one another, and to have humility towards one another. You can't do that by yourself. Yes, you can love yourself, but you can't love one another by yourself. Yes, you can have made up your mind, you can have unity within yourself, but you can't have unity with one another all alone. Yes, you can be a humble heart, 
But if you're humble to yourself and not towards anybody else, you're kind of just patting yourself on the back, aren't you? We need a community to practice our faith in. We need others to one another if we're gonna follow Jesus well. We were designed to grow together with others. One writer uh, tells us in 1 Thessalonians in chapter three, verse 11 and 12, that our growth can actually be measured by our increasing love for others in our, in our church. That our, our spiritual growth can be measured by how much we love one another people, or love other people. That's a challenge to me. And how is it that we do this? Like, it's one thing to say, like, you ought to love people, and you're like, I mean, people are fine, I guess, but like, love? What do I do with love? And our culture defines love in all different kinds of ways. Like, how do we how do, we do this? I, I, I want to make it simple. I want to look at Acts 2 and just say, that's a good place to start. Find some people, share some bread, and share some prayers. Invite some people to your house or ask, some, ask somebody if they, you can come to their house. Hey, I just want to share a meal and I want to share some prayers. I want to share what's going on in my life a little bit and I ask you to pray together with me. It's real simple. Simple, but difficult. In fact, like this is, this is, I think, probably the most difficult thing that I have tried to figure out. How is it that we're going to do this? I look, I look at our church, I look at neighborhood church, and I go, all right, so should we just like shut down Sunday mornings and share breakfast together and have prayers and just turn this time into a gathering time where we share a meal and, and we share prayers? And like that's the focus of what we do on Sunday morning? Um, I'm not sure. How do, how, do I, how do I invite, like it, it can sometimes get weird when the pastor invites himself over to your house. Like, hey, we're gonna do, a, we're not doing a Bible study. We're just gonna pray together and we're gonna share a meal. Like, what do you want, dude? That's weird. This is the thing that I've wrestled with the most about how do we take the next steps to do this? And so I'm, church, I'm inviting you to help me to know how is it that we're supposed to do this together? Because I see it in the scriptures and I go, this is a thing that we have missed that we can address. If you're challenged by it, I have two words of encouragement for you. One is that on the night before Jesus was crucified, he prayed about this specifically. He didn't just pray for this topic. He didn't just pray for love of the church in general. He prayed for you and I before he was carried away to the cross. His prayer is recorded in John chapter 17 in verses 20 through 26. Jesus prayed for our growth in love for one another and unity. Not just the disciples, not just the apostles, not just the people in scripture, but the people who would hear and hear and hear and be generations away. He prayed for us, church, that we would be able to do this well. And he also said, in John chapter 20 and verse 29, he says, you guys have had a leg up. You guys, you apostles, you disciples, you guys have seen me in the flesh. I get it. But blessed are those who believe and who follow who have not yet seen me in the flesh. 
That's a big yet. Like I'm not saying we're not gonna see him in the flesh, I'm saying we haven't seen him yet. That day's coming, that's a different topic. It's a different thing. But blessed are those who follow me and have not yet met me in the flesh. Jesus is on our team for this. This might be Jesus' resolution for us this year. That we stop turning inward on ourselves and try to figure out how to force growth in myself by myself me and Jesus against the world, but that we would open our heart and share our struggles with one another, that we would share our prayers while sharing some bread, because food makes it easier to talk, doesn't it? So who will we journey together with, church? Will we have, will we have the faith to take that next step, to invite some other Jesus followers to share some bread and to share some prayers because we were designed to grow together with others. Would you pray with me? God, this is hard. <clears throat> I can kind of manage my public relations. I can, I can manage my image. I can not appear in public without a shower or having brushed my teeth. I can, I can take steps, but inviting people into my life, inviting people to see how I'm parenting, inviting people to see how I'm struggling with loving my neighbors, God, is hard. And yet, you've asked us to trust you by entrusting ourselves to others as well. And the mathematics of how that works uh, some days doesn't add up to me, God, but I, I want to trust you in it. Would you increase my faith that I might trust you to follow you in this? That as I look at the ways that your apostles followed you after you were taken from them, would I be impressed by how they gathered together? They made it a priority. that they expressed their genuine love and devotion to you by showing love to those that you love. Lord Jesus, would you help us to grow in this area? We need you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.